Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the TKW Podcast. I'm Anthony Corbo, your host, as always. You can follow me at Corbo Anthony on Twitter. I'm joined by my family co-host as well, Kyle Maggio. What's going on, everybody? At Kyle Maggio on Twitter and Brian Gaberman. What's up, everyone? At Brian Gaberman on Twitter. And while you're at it, make sure you're following the Knicks Wall, TKW Podcast. Just spell them out. They're there for you. Uh, if you're listening to this on YouTube, shouts to you guys. Keep it up in the comments. Make sure you subscribe to us. Uh, head over to your favorite podcast app. Five stars. Please leave us a review. Let us know what we could be doing better. Let us know what we're doing well. We love hearing from y'all. And uh, so we're you know we're here. Things have kind of quieted down a little bit more since the Kristaps uh, Porzingis trade went down. Uh, I'm actually going to start calling that the Dennis Smith Jr. trade. Fuck that. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, since the uh, Dennis Smith Jr. trade went down, uh, it, it kind of gives us a good place to evaluate not not just how Dennis Smith Jr. has looked since he got here, but the rest of the the young players, the rookies, the second year players, the the you know draft picks, and the additional pieces the Knicks have uh, left in their in their chest of assets, and also could be contributors long term for the team. Uh, it's been an interesting calendar year for them so far especially you know kevin knox has seen his syrup up and down in uh january february we haven't seen frank neil kina in a little bit there's noah vonley still on the roster so uh i'd say we got some answers from the trade deadline but a lot more questions have popped up brian why don't uh you get us started here what what what's your biggest thing to uh talk about tonight from how the young players have looked so far this calendar year the the guy i want to talk about is Kevin Knox. And I tweeted something out during the Raptors game <laughs> that I thought was very, 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 very innocent. So the tweet was, Knox had two pretty nifty passes, too. It's going to be really fascinating to see if he can ever pull it all together or if it ends up being a pick the Knicks regret. regret. And the reaction I got to that tweet was a lot of He's 19. How are you giving up on him? Blah, blah, blah. And they, along those lines. And I still, I even if the Knox picks bust, I'm not going to criticize them for it. It was a worthy shot at a high upside pick. But that people can't, I, I don't understand why people can't acknowledge that there's risk in the pick and there's also a high reward. Because if you look at, the, there's two guys the Knicks passed on for that pick, Michael and Miles Bridges. And those guys right now, and look, Michael's 23 and Miles is 20, but they're both significantly better players than what Kevin Knox is. Kevin Knox cannot make a layup. The Raptors game, for instance, he was one for four in the restricted area, two for seven in the non-restricted area, but in the paint. The only thing he can do is make threes. He's shooting on two pointers this year. Kevin Knox is shooting 38%. Mike Allen and Miles Bridges are both right around 
Now, there's good from Kevin Knox. He's getting to the free throw line at a higher rate than those guys. He's shooting 34% on a higher volume of three than either of those two are taking. Those are very good signs in what the player can become. But he has a long way to go. He's a 19-year-old kid, and he's very raw. His handle is rudimentary. His finishing is rudimentary. He might be one of he's one of the worst defenders in the entire NBA. And a big reason the Knicks are 10 and 44 this season is because he's playing 28 minutes a game and he's played 1,300 minutes. He's awful right now. Like, there's no way around it. He's a, he's scoring a decent amount of points, but that's because he's taking a ton of shots. So I don't understand why there's like controversy around saying. Kevin Knox is very bad right now. There's risk in Kevin Knox. There's also part of his game that translates awesomely to the modern NBA, and it could work out tremendously. I, I don't see what's controversial in all that. Well, this is what happened when I, I started turning on, on Frank a little bit. I was just like, yeah, like the mold of Frank and the player that we want him to be and think he could be, that's – uh, of, of course, that's that's a tremendous player. Of course, you want like a six eight, lengthy, elite defending, uh, you know, small forward who has playmaking abilities. You know, who could hopefully shoot some threes. Like, of course, you'd want that. But right now, Frank kind of sucks. Like, and that's that's fine. He's a young player. But like, this is the same thing I was saying in Slack. You know, I, he he stinks right now. It just is what it is. And. He helps the team, I think, which it, it's a lower bar because this team is terrible, but he does help them play winning ball when he's in, but he's just not actually good himself yet. So, But it's not like an indictment of the players when we say it, is my point. It's not like I, I, I think he's uh, just bad because he's bad. I just think he's bad because he's young and he's got to keep learning and getting better. You know, the context is important, but it's not supposed to be an indictment against them either. So I think people take that as like a, a criticism. Like, I know we did that over the summer when we mentioned Alonzo Trier's tunnel vision in Summer League, and people thought we hated him for some reason. And we're like, no, he just, you know, he has tunnel vision. He just, that that's what that's what's happening. We don't hate him. We're not so, calling him anything. Like, two two things on that, too. Uh, one on, on Knox is, I just, it's really interesting to me how, yeah, he, he's such an offensive player and you could tell they're really trying to give him a role in the offense to get him going. Cause he has just fallen off the cliff. Like you're saying, since he got those, you know, the rookie of the month or uh, honors in there. But my, you know, it, it's just really interesting how, when his shot is falling, like it seems like the whole offense comes together. Like the team plays faster. Guys are running more. It seems like te- guys are getting more into, into position. And then like when, when Knox is just not hitting a shot or he's not looking confident out there, he doesn't know where to be on the court. It just it really slams everything up because especially now when you have the starting lineup of, uh, you know Dennis Smith Jr. in there, you take away Tim Hardaway Jr. It's you have a lot less, you know, off-ball scoring that's going to be you know get the offense running, and I think that's what they miss the most when Kevin Knox isn't performing. Other thing, real quick, and we can go, we can still talk about Knox a little bit more, but I thought Trier and Dennis Smith Jr. have played well together. I thought Trier has been spacing the floor well when Dennis Smith is out there and kind of letting you know, DSJ take up the inside a little bit, but uh, yeah, it, uh, as far as the Knox is concerned, like his offense needs to be there for him to be effective. And, and, you know, like you're saying, he's just not right now. And, uh, but it, it's okay. It's not like the Knicks are going to win more than 20 games this season. So uh, I'd say for the rest of the year, you know, with anybody, let him work out the kinks. Like you were saying this with Frank too. Like 
there's no reason why he's not going to be playing you know nearly 30 minutes a game it's just you know we have the rest of the season to work it out with these guys and they need to make strides like if we go into the summer with the same questions about Knox and Frank there's going to be some issues we need to see a little bit more consistency now that they have clear defined playing time and I, I talked about the bad from the Raptors game but there was also good there was the three-point right. shooting early in the first court in the first half in his first stint he, for some reason he played like the first like 15, 16, 17 minutes of the game without setting. I don't know what Fisdale was doing there, but that was strange. But he had a stretch where he had two good individual defensive plays, one on Siakam and one on, I want to say Kawhi, but I'm not 100% sure, where he stayed in front of both of them, contested their shots, and stopped them from scoring. And then he stayed with the man cutting back door and had a deflection. That's that, no, that's good signs, and that's stuff he has to build upon and keep doing because his team defense is truly horrific. Like that was, those were isolated instances of good that you could see the potential of where he can eventually go, but he's just not doing it consistently right now, and that's to be expected. He's a kid. He just started playing basketball really full time when he was 16. He has to learn. He has to learn. He just he's learning how to play at a very and in doing it at the highest level that you possibly could be. This is really hard. And I like how Fisdale is handling that. He's just throwing him out there, letting him play and letting him learn. But I mean, he's shooting 50% in the restricted area, 38% in the paint, non-restricted 24% for mid range. Like that, I, it's, and that's, I don't think it's, it's to be expected with where he is and what his skills are. It's going to, people don't, it's a lot of the stuff we deal with Frank. And this is when I get, I get frustrated with Kyle, with Frank. It's a lot of the same thing with Knox. Like you have to accept that this is going to be a drawn out process. Like even next year, there's no guarantee that all of this is going to come together. This is a, it's going to be two, three years down the line, possibly before we really see him kind of mold himself and put together the skills that he needs to be an effective winning basketball player and not just do some individual stuff that equals raw stats. So let's, uh, you know, we're talking a lot about Frank. We're talking a lot about Knox here. Let's kind of take a look at some of the other young players and how they've been since, uh, you know, since the beginning of the season. Uh, maybe we turn our attention to Alonzo Trier here. He had a significant period of struggle after he came back from his, uh, he had an ankle injury, right? Uh, but yeah, yes. after he came back from his injury, uh, you know, it seems like he's really rounded into form lately. And I mentioned this before, but I, I like the way that he's played so far with Dennis Smith Jr. I, I haven't seen quite the same offense out of Dotson that we've seen at other points. I'm waiting for them to really get a thing together. But when Trier subs into the game for Dotson, I'm seeing a little bit more activity, a little bit more, you know, consistency with the ball spacing. Maybe it was just a Toronto game, but I'm liking what, those two are bringing to the table as a pairing. Yeah. Um, I, I still think Trier has been the best rookie as a whole. And I think we could all agree on that. Right. Like, no. is, is, uh, you think I, I really, and I, and I know what you're going to say about Mitchell Robinson. I just think Trier being able to play every game, big minutes is a skill. I, it's, like, it's not far. Everybody has a unique set of struggles that they're dealing with right now. Uh, but I wouldn't say that any one of them are necessarily super far off. I, I would say, I guess, Trey and Robinson are pretty close as far as production is concerned in my eyes. But I feel the same way that it's it's close. I'm not trying to say it's like 
head and shoulders above. It's just I just different. think Max, such I, I just think players. Trier's been like more balanced on both sides of the ball and especially more consistent. Sometimes being well-rounded doesn't necessarily mean better. And the Knicks, and considering what this team is, the fact they've basically played elite defense whenever Mitchell Robinson has been on the floor this year puts him head and shoulders above any other of the rookies or any other of the young players in general. Well, that's a fair so, point. Well, all right. So what, what, what do we see as, I guess, looking at Mitchell Robinson too, Alonzo Trier didn't have the mentor, doesn't have the mentor that Robinson has now with, with DeAndre Jordan. And I don't know how, you know, obviously these guys have only been here for a couple of games, but I don't know how much of this is going to be overblown with the whole mentorship thing. I don't know how much of DeAndre Jordan being around is for him to contribute in a, in a more long-term fashion or, you know, just to get him here to lure Kevin Durant to the team. But, uh, you know, Mitchell Robinson could definitely use showing the, someone to show him the ropes and especially on, on the rebound again, like what, where do you think that Deandre Jordan is going to help Mitchell Robinson improve the most? Or do you think, think that's you know, not really, that's a non-factor at this point. I don't think the veteran presence and a guy teaching you, yeah, there's some value in that. That's also why you have a coaching staff. There's part of me that think that stuff is overblown to an extent that he does need someone to help him. But that's just that's a discredit to Mitchell Robinson. And Mitchell Robinson deserves credit for how he's improved in the last since in February, the last four games. We've been complaining about his defensive rebounding all season. He's up to 18.3. His defensive rebound percentage is up to 18.3. And his offensive rebound percentage is still 15.6. I mean, the last four games or so, he's been absolutely fantastic. And to just give all the credit to that, to DeAndre Jordan, is insane to me. And so, I mean, like, you read the Berman piece about DeAndre Jordan, and it's just, it's crazy. Like, the dude is stunk, and we'll get more into this later. But, like, DeAndre Jordan's bad, and Mitchell Robinson's been good, and the stark contrast between the two of them when they're on the court is it's yikes. It's not a good look. I think he's definitely knowledgeable enough. I don't think he's a particularly good defender right now. I don't know if it's due to a lack of effort or if he doesn't really care to be uh, that same player that he was, uh, despite him not really being, you know, I'm, but he's only 30 years old. He still has plenty of good years left. So I don't understand what happened here, but you know, I still think he, the whole, mentor thing is a perfectly fine and reasonable aspect to this. You know, he definitely at least does have the knowledge. He was a former defensive player. Did he win one defensive player of the year or was he just all like an all NBA defense guy? No idea. He does. He does have it. He may have two. Okay. So, I mean, he was, he was a good defender for a long period of time is my point. So he does have some knowledge. I do see the benefit to it. And, and, and it's something, you know, we hope Mitch becomes is kind of what he was in his prime a little bit. So I, I get it from that angle. So I just want to group these last couple of guys into the same category. We could just talk quickly about a little bit of differences between the three, but the other young players I would say on this team uh, that I'm wondering more about is uh, Emmanuel Moutier, Noah Vonley, and Mario Hazonia. All these guys are pending free agents from the Knicks this summer. Um, what, 
what do you think the Knicks do with them? Are they simply here just to run their contract out and then there's going to be a you know pretty significant parting of ways? Or do you think that they uh, the Knicks have any intent on bringing any one of these guys back into the fold? And can they contribute once they're back? I think just Vonley probably. I don't know why they'd want to bring any one of these guys back. Hizonia's kind of had like a, a decently... A decent last two or three weeks, I would say. On the, you know, he's still yeah, making all he's these bonehead better. mistakes that he always makes out there. But for the most part, he's he's had some nice. He's been decent on both the passing end. He's made some shots, missed some shots, and like you know, I think it's trending more in the miss some shots area. But his passing and like his rebounding, I've noticed, have been a little bit better in the last few weeks. I don't know if that's enough. That's enough to get him some minutes. He's obviously started last game, but you know, I, I wonder. Uh, you know, if they see any value in that. I'm with you that he's played better, but there's just something about his game. And I actually, I haven't looked up the numbers because I just don't think he's going to be back. So I don't really invest much time in analyzing him, but like I test watching him. There's just something about him. That's a little bit off that he's never, he's, he, he just doesn't, I don't feel like he fits into the flow of the game easily. And, and that's partially his decision-making he hesitates. I feel like he hesitates when he should attack. Sometimes yes. he attacks when he shouldn't. Yes. And, and there's just something that's a little bit off about him that I feel hurts the team as a whole when he's involved too much. He just seems a little frantic is like the way I would describe it. Like he always seems like when whenever he needs to do something, there always just seems to that little second of hesitation is just very... I don't know if it's nervous or not. I don't know how to describe it, but to me, it's very like frantic in his decision making. Sometimes, sometimes people just there's how how basketball players process information in their minds greatly impacts how they play, and he seems to be one of those people players where how they process the information is just a little bit off, and that kind of throws everything off a tick. So, quick correction here. Uh, DeAndre Jordan's never won Defensive Player of the Year. I thought he did. Uh, he's won the, like, you know, NBA Players Award defend- Best Defender thing. But um, why don't we move on from some of the, the players that we have right now and let's uh, let's talk about some of the most recent interactions. Uh, we're, we're obviously getting to a point in the season where we're focusing on free agency. You know, we have, we're focusing on the draft. We have Mike Cortez from the Knicks wall coming on later on in the show to uh, talk about his upcoming draft board piece. Uh, but we're also kind of curious about what's going on in free agency. And a lot of that, you can start to parse out some details now. Uh, so it's a little segment we're calling tea leaves here. And the, the first, First, a little bit of tea that we want to sip on here. The little the first leave that we want to read is uh, comes from uh, Zach Lowe and uh, and Bobby Marks on his podcast on the Zach Lowe podcast, talking about Kevin Durant uh, at the very end of the of the episode. What they were what they were talking about it was weird. So they were talking about which fan bases is the most angry at their team. And that sort of transitions into what Zach says. You know who's going to skyrocket up these rankings if July doesn't go right? Knicks fans. Yes. If July goes wrong, yeah, the pro- the protests are going to start. Again. Yeah. 
like in I mean literal protest in the street. And it could go wrong. We'll see. Could. We'll see. Yeah, so in that very uh, Zach Lowe cadence that he delivers so perfectly, we'll see is the is the answer. Said very uh, assuringly and you know, the same way both times around. And that just gets all of us on Twitter, all of us on this podcast, all of us in Knicks fandom speculating real hardcore. Uh, Brian, it's, it, I mean, is Zach Lowe telling us all that Kevin Durant to the Knicks is a done deal? I, I, I that I'm not crazy there, right? Like the way I heard it's the that, same he, tone. Yeah, but like Bobby Marks was like trying to be like, yeah, it might not happen, and Zach Lowe was basically just like, nah, it's gonna happen. It's a long <laughs> like, pause in there. Like he's just like, yeah, we'll see. And the way it was just like the tone he said, it. and I did his tone terribly right there. That's not how he said it. But well, Kyle, is, is is it a done deal? All right, uh, can you give me like a. Five-second dramatic pause. We'll see. I think I was wrong to be angry about the trade. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so it, it hit me. It hit me the day the the Mark Stein article dropped, where he mentioned that these league insiders all seem to think Durant is going to the Knicks. And I was like, okay, that's just one guy. It, it's one big guy who's usually pretty credible um, and a big deal. So, okay, that's good. And then whatever, right? I was like, all right, not a big deal. And then later that day, I think uh, Ethan Strauss had his first, or, you know, his first one since the, the one that set Durant off. And he said the same thing, you know, all these, the, the, the NBA thinks he's going to the Knicks. And I was like, Okay, Ethan's always been very, very credible. I, I, okay, now that's that's two big ones, and that's one right in his, you know, for his, the the, uh, he's a beat reporter for the, you know, that covers that team. So, I was like, okay, so now I started getting a little bit excited, and then the low, uh, the, the low thing happened, and then I was like, oh my god, this is, so it just seems sort of irrefutable. Like, why would all the the guys who are often credible, and and in the know, this is very like. LeBron to the Lakers vibes is my point. And it doesn't make sense. Uh, I don't know that it has to make sense if he comes, but it just, that's, that's the sense that I get. And uh, the other thing that I noticed too, is that Berman article that dropped about why uh, Giannis was mad with um, the next front office. Uh, he wanted like a, like a front office position. Like he wanted to be like incorporated basically. And they didn't want him to. So I wonder if maybe it rubbed him the wrong way because they might be planning to give Kevin Durant's agent a gig and maybe they didn't like that. Huh? Is that a good connection? That's reading some tea leaves. So I'll give it to you. Do you, do you remember? Do you, so Zach Lowe does his article before the season, like 30 things. I believe it is. Do you remember what his number one was in that article? No. Tell me. Kevin Kevin Durant is going to sign with the Knicks after the season. That was the number that was what led the article. He didn't add anything else to it, but the article started and it was just number one, Kevin Durant is going to sign with the Knicks. That was from before the season even started. And then he went on and got into a whole bunch of other different stuff. That there's so much noise behind this. Like Lowe has vi- to me, Lowe is very clearly that he wrote that before the season, how he talks about them, 
And then that little we'll see thing, it feels like Lowe's been told that he's going to go to the Knicks. And much like you brought up the LeBron thing, Kyle, the entire league knew it and they didn't really like they hinted at it, but they didn't say anything like Windhorse was like what he did the podcast, the free agency podcast. And he was like, what, like 60, 70 percent. I think LeBron's going to go to the Lakers. And then after it happened, he was like, yeah, I 100 percent knew. I just couldn't come out and say that. Yeah. So I, I guess I, I don't want to I don't know. I don't want to belabor it, but. Um... I don't know. I just don't know. Like, what what percentage do you think? Like, how confident are you? I'm above fifty percent. And I I never let myself get that optimistic about this team, but I am I'm firmly above fifty percent here. Yeah, I'm at like seventy five, eighty percent. Wow, that is that is high. I I thought I was I was gonna say a strong thirty five percent. I thought that was high, but. You guys just blasted. I, 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 I mean, if you're reading the comment, you're you're the one throwing conspiracies out here. You're only going to give me a thirty-five. Are you just going? You know. I wonder if like, I wonder if there's like stipulations to it. I thought about this too. Like, I wonder if Durant's like, hey, I'm a hundred percent coming if you get me Kyrie, and then if you can't get me Kyrie, you know, you have to trade for like. Anthony Davis or Bradley Beal. Like, I wonder if there's stipulations. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm you totally. Have to have something, you have to have something lined up, or I'm, you know, I'm not just gonna fucking come and play next to Kevin Knox. Like, I'm gonna come and you can get me somebody else to run with, and then we'll figure out the rest. Like, I wonder all, if like that's part of it. First of all, that's exactly how he said it too. I'm not just gonna fucking come to play with Kevin Knox. <laughs> uh, you know, that's exactly how he said it. And it's like, I wouldn't like if you know. On June 30th, Kevin Durant is all set up to sign with the Knicks and everything is good to go. And then July 1st, you know, the paperwork comes and he just says, nah, fuck it. I, like, I wouldn't put that past Kevin Durant either. That's totally within his realm of possibility, you know. And then you know, his realm of, uh, you know, what, what's right to do. He can do whatever he wants in the future. And if he wants to back out at the last second, he absolutely can. I mean, look at what happened with freaking DeAndre Jordan and all that years ago. But, you know, with... with uh, I, 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 I'm sitting here above 50%, but I just based on, and I, I don't mean to like slander his name, but just based on how volatile Kevin Durant can be with his decision-making sometimes, uh, I just, I would, would not go above like 65% sure, even if like it's basically a done deal. All right. On the help issue, more tea leaves. Yes, I mean, let's get into this. The, the, the Kyrie thing, it's just like, Oh, things are happening. Oh, that was delicious. I I was scrumptious. I'm never up at that hour. And that was just amazing. The things that were coming out. I'm I'm drinking a cup of tea right now just for this moment. Like, I'm yeah. Oh, man. Hearing Morris whine about it. We're not having fun. We haven't had fun in a long time. You know, two two weeks ago, three weeks ago, Kyrie threw the the kids under the bus. Uh, it's, It's tremendous. Hayward. Hey, Hayward just looks like a bump through no fault of his own. He's just not healthy, but he's, I mean, they look awful. They look awful. And I mean, in the like they're actually a good team, but they look awful in the context that they should be better. You know, they were in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Um, you thought reinforcements were coming, you know, Kyrie would be healthy. And I, I this is, you, you couldn't have scripted it better. I, I don't think if you're in our position at 10 and 45 and, the, and uh, you're, you're hoping for, for something to happen to force them out. I, I think this is as about, you know, about as good as it uh, can get. 
do we want to do it do we want to play the clip should we let everyone in on this do we want to do we all want to have a moment to rejoice together in what marcus morris said about his teammates yes absolutely let's, i want to hear it let's do it to me it's not really about the loss but the attitudes that we're playing with you know guys are you know hanging in here it's just it just doesn't it's not fun man. like it's not fun we're not competing at a high level you know even though we're winning it's, it's still not it's just not fun you know i don't i don't see the joy in the game i watch all these other teams on the league and guys up on the bench they're jumping on the court they're doing all you know other stuff that this look like is they enjoying you know their teammate success they're enjoying everything and they're playing together and they're playing to win and when i look at us i just see a bunch of individuals what has to change the goal has to be to win bottom line we can't we got to play to win that's sacrificing playing hard that's sacrificing you know being a better teammate that's sacrificing whatever it is you know we have to put it to the side no one's getting traded trade deadlines over we compete for a championship, and that's how we got to approach these games. I'm going to lose a draw, man. We're going to lose games, but we we don't have no attitude. We don't have no toughness. We ain't having fun. You know, it's going to be a long season. We don't have no attitude. We don't have no toughness. We ain't having fun. It's going to be a long season. I mean, I, I feel like just a couple of months ago, maybe even weeks ago, Marcus Morris is out here being hailed as the, the you know, Boston's, like, you know, big veteran presence, and he's a he's a glue that's holding the locker room together. And then just a, it's going to be a long season. We ain't having fun. Th- this is what I need to hear. Oh, this is what I need to hear. Aren't this is I? So I disconnected from internet and everything after the after the Knicks after the Knicks game on Saturday, and then I I logged on. It had to be like two in the morning or something like that. And I just see all this Celtic stuff and I see they blew the lead and I see that quote and I'm just like, holy hell, hadn't they won like nine of 10 going into that game before they lost the two straight to the Lakers or something like that? Like, How is this all coming apart at this? Like something is going on there that it's not right. It's like they're, they haven't played up to expectations, but they're still a very good basketball team that that's been playing at a very high level for like a couple months now. But there's so much noise coming out of there and so much negativity. Something's up, and I just want to eat it, all of it. Just inject it all into me at the same time. It's the best. Oh. Like how you, Kyle, you said it. The Knicks are 10 and 45 or 10 and 44, whatever the hell it is. And we're still, and we're sitting here laughing and having fun of at the expense of a team that everyone assumes is going to make the second round of the NBA playoffs and has a chance to make the NBA finals. It's it's a very it's all very very strange. It, it truly is, and I have one more tea leaf thing. Did you guys see the the season ticket advertisement from this morning? Maybe the funniest thing. Oh the Knicks man, that is what time. a what a move. Because the Knicks just released a statement on it, and um, I just retweeted. I saw Stephen uh, Bondi. Um, the next statement on including KD's photos in a season ticket promotion. Game action photos are used all the time for marketing purposes, but given everything, <laughs> <laughs> this is the, this is what got me. Top it out. Wait, is this an Is this an official release from MS from the Knicks? Well, normally I get those, and I haven't. Well, I haven't checked my email. Hold on, this is irresponsible of me. Nope, we didn't get this one. Um, normally we get them for the other press releases though. And, what, so what account are you uh, are you reading this off of? 
No, okay, so I'm. I'm this, this, is Bond, Stephen, this is off Stefan Bondi. This is from Stefan Bondi. Okay, I'll take game, it. Game action photos. This is from the. He said Nick's statement on it. So cool. Game action photos are used all the time for marketing purposes. This is the best part. But given everything going on, comma, we took precaution of taking the photo down. To be clear, it was one of several rotating photos on the website. But what gets me is the the subtle acknowledgement of. But given with everything all that's going, going on, on. Like, is that really? What, Wait, that's exactly with all that's going on. That's the quote. But given everything that's go- giving every sorry, but given everything going on. Oh, that is a lazy Sunday press release if I've ever heard one. Oh man, that's funny. They that is that is like the least cop outy cop out I've ever heard. I'm just told that I want to tweet that from the, from the DKW account, in quotes. <laughs> but given everything going on. Yeah. Uh, does Okay, so does that improve anybody's uh, percentage of Durant arriving at the Knicks? Brian's already at a, at a steady 75. I don't know how much further up he can go from there. Kyle, you are at a 35. Where does that move you now? Um, I, I, I'm going to stay where I'm at. I don't want to get too excited. Things, things don't happen to us, and it seems different this time. It's like Brian keeps saying, it's weird. That's the word for it. It's weird. Everything it's just that's hanging over weird. everything. Like, the KP trade was weird. The return, the fact that they got so much back, and normally the Knicks fuck it up, it was weird. Like, the timing of it being so, you know, rapid, basically, in KP's career here seemed weird. Like, it's everything about this that's happening is just very strange. And I hope for once it works out. I just don't want to get my hopes up. I, I love that you are supremely confident that the Knicks are getting KT, KD, but you refuse to admit it and are just going to continue to say 30%, even though deep down your percentage is much higher. I'm at nope. 55 now. This game, this moved me up 5%. <sighs> I, it, it's it, would just be really, it, would, it would be really nice to be able to root for a good... like And, and I... Again, it gets people think it's funny, but like I, I really do look back fondly on that 2012-13 season. Um, just being able to like see Mellow ball out like in his in his peak form, like having a talent on your team. You know, he wasn't perfect, and, and Katie's obviously a, a superior player, but like that, just having that for even a season is just such a nice feeling. I just want to be able to. Root and see at, good basketball that again. At what point this summer do you think the Golden State Warriors file tampering charges against the Knicks? Frank Isola tweeted uh, basically that the, the Warriors must have put in a call to the front office, uh, to the NBA front office. So I, I myself have some KD tweets I would have to go back and delete, but all the people who when Mello was on the Knicks and would call him a better pure scorer than KD are going to have to, those will be, I'm, I'm going to bring up some of those. You will spend, Kate, I can I'm see here. you spending a 12 hour period just going through various prominent Knicks Twitter accounts and just pulling people down, just pulling, pulling out tweets from 2010, 2011, 2012, <laughs> all the way through 20, probably 14. You're going to make it. You're going to go four years deep here of just, and you know, out these people out and turn them into KD apologists. Yeah, I don't I, have to. I don't have to do that. They get sent to me. I I looked. I looked up the ones that I tweeted about Durant, and I I sent some to the Slack chat a couple of weeks ago. And boy, do I have a lot of tweets to delete. I sent like three screenshots that contain like six to seven tweets on each screen, and 
Yeah, it's just I might just do one of those wipes from like anything from like 2016 and prior. I'm just gonna wipe, and then I'll individually. Kevin Durant is gonna make you wipe. What do you? When, when did you get onto Twitter? Are you 2009, no, uh, 2011? Uh, when do you think you got uh, on? 2000 and. 2009, I think. I think it was 2009. Kevin Durant is going to make you wipe seven years of tweets. That's unbelievable. Honestly, the first five years of tweets, I didn't do much. I just kind of laid low. Uh, I, I said this before. Uh, I used to tweet when, when Brian was a more supreme voice in the early Knicks Twitter. I used to tweet his little his little gang, and everybody just ignored me in my little minuscule account with no followers. And then uh, we rose to the top, and that's what we did. We rose to the top. Turn the tides. That's it. Baltimore and I deleted my account to get away from Twitter and lost all my followers. That's a bitch. No, it's not. I like having less followers. <laughs> you still, not even let me tell you, you certainly still make an impact. Because the T, because Kyle likes to torture me. <laughs> uh, listen, man, I, 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 I'm all for blaming issues on Kyle, but there are, there are some holes that I've seen you dig as well. You have a shovel, and I, I, you know how to use it. Yes, I do. Uh, <laughs> oh, 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 is there a hole? <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Lately, huh? <laughs> Very large ones. Oh, boy, that was delightful. <laughs> Well, before we get ourselves into uh, you know an even deeper pit here, uh, I just want to remind everybody that they can go follow us on on the Twitter that we're talking about here. You can follow Brian Gibberman and just take stock of all of uh, you know just just the the pits, the holes, the potholes. Just the man is just outbrooding construction all around Twitter, and it's a <laughs> fabulous thing to follow. Uh, Kyle Maggio. If you want to go and follow him on Twitter so you can get at all these Durant tweets and you'll know, pull them up, get the screenshots going before he wipes five years or I'm sorry, six years worth of tweets, then uh, I would recommend you go follow him now. As for me, you know, I'm, I'm there. You can go follow me. Follow the next wall. Follow TKW podcast. Uh, like I said before. Now, why don't uh, we get into what we witnessed against the Raptors on Saturday? Um. Quite a little bit of interesting things throughout this game. Uh, do either of you have any particular area you want to start uh, for a Saturday's recap against the Raptors? Yeah, I mean, I, I watched it today. I, I missed it last night. You know, I was, you know, trying to keep up with the via you guys. And uh, so, I, you know, I kind of knew what to look for when I watched it today. But um the only thing that and I've been sort of exclusively trying to focus on Dennis Smith Jr. Just because I feel like that's the most worthwhile piece right now with the team. And I, I like that in the mid in the we knew like a bad shooting game was coming. You know, the game in Detroit, he was nine of 14 and he went to the line 19 times. Um, you know, so he's he's never been an overly efficient player, but, you know, there's going to be off nights and. That happened to be last night. I think he was four, four of fifteen from the field, or four of sixteen, and um, I mean, it, it just wasn't good. But at least he found ways to make an impact in other facets of the game. I think he had six assists, four rebounds, uh, I believe three steals. You know, it wasn't a. I'm not saying he had a good night by any means, but I thought 
you know, you have to, against good teams like this, you have to battle through having a bad shooting night. And he's an offense only guy for the most part. That's what he's known as. And if you can't put the ball in the hoop, you got to find ways to just can't kind of scrap and claw and hang around with Kyle Lowry and the Raptors. So I felt good about that. Looked like Mitch had a really nice game too. Career high, um, you know, getting a couple more rebounds in, in that one. And I think he had three block shots and um, he looked really, really impressive. And uh, I, I think that's kind of what we hope to see down the stretch is just Dennis Smith be encouraging and Mitchell Robinson staying on the floor, making an impact like that. Kyle, on, Den- on Dennis Smith, to my, to my eye, the, um, defensively, his on-ball defense doesn't seem all that bad to me, but he gets a little bit lost off the ball. I, I, I don't know what he did in his first year, but the reputation was, of, was being like a horrible, atrocious defender. What I've seen with the Knicks so far, it's more average, more around average. Is that? Do you think that's fair? I I think it's I think it's definitely fair on ball to say he's closer to average. Off ball, he just he just ball watches a lot. And normally, I, I've noticed it always happens on. He's more prone to it happening on switches, like you know, whatever. Like him and Dotson will, will they'll switch, and then he'll he'll kind of glance over at his man, and then he kind of just hovers, like he's playing free safety. And you can do that. That's actually something that's very useful for team defense, but you still have to know where your man is. And I've seen it, you know, these guys cut back door on him when he's not looking. He just, to me, that's one thing that sticks out to me. But the on ball, I thought, is fine normally because he's pretty quick and he's kind of a strong, you know, body to get in front of somebody. So um, I don't know if I'm going to feel comfortable saying average yet, but definitely closer to a front ball at least. Just his overall game has a lot of like young Eric Bledsoe in it to me. There's a lot more. And I was talking to, with Matt Spenley this morning. I I don't want to like rush to judge it now because I know he's probably excited to be here and like, you know, had the greenest, greenest of lights again. So I'm sure he feels pretty good and confident right now. So I want to judge like once we're a month in and everything. But he, he just does seem better in in this present moment than you know, like you were saying, he was kind of given credit for. Um, I don't see I, he's playing on a really bad team, and he he looks pretty okay at both ends. You know, um, and and even with his his passing, you know, he he might take a lot of shots, but he's definitely working to get guys looks. You know, even if they're turnovers, he's definitely trying to incorporate uh, his teammates in the flow of the offense too. So I I think I like what I'm seeing as a whole right now. So kind of sticking with the uh, guard rotation, we've seen a couple of weeks out of Kadeem Allen now. He's the Knicks two-way player since Lonzo Trier got converted. Um, I thought that he had a pretty solid defensive game. He looked pretty aware out there and got into a couple of lanes, got himself a few steals. Uh, I know, obviously, Kadeem Allen's most likely going to be the odd man out once we see Emmanuel Moutier and Frank Nielakina coming back into the... Uh, you know, it come back from injury, but what has Kadeem Allen given you guys to look forward to so far to, you know, with him in the G league and potentially uh, further call-ups down the line. Does anyone have his line? Does anyone have the Raptors box score up in front of them and can recite off what his line was in that game? I thought it was like really, really good. Go yeah, into it real quick. I, oh, you got a Kyle? Yeah, no, yeah, I'm pulling it up right now. Okay. So just give me like literally one more second and we're here. So uh, Kadeem Allen had 14 points. Six assists, four rebounds, two steals, and he shot five of 11 from the field. Uh, he was two for four from the line, two of three from deep, 
and he had no turnovers. So he played a really clean game. To me, he's just like a really nice system fit. You know, just a guy who can come in like a plug and play. Like he can do a lot of things okay. And he could just kind of fit in. If you need him to shoot a little bit, he can shoot. If you need him to dish a little bit, he can dish. He's actually a really nice playmaker. Um, so I, I like the player that he is, and he's actually a pretty good defender too. So, um, And not just an on-ball guy. I've seen him make a number yeah. of off-ball plays and, and cut into the passing lanes. And uh, he's, he's a pesk on-ball. So I, I'm not going to oversell him too much, but, I mean, I like what I see. Um, I like that. He's, he, he's definitely a – it translates well from his G League play to now. Yeah, I mean, his confidence is really apparent out there. He even, he missed his first four shots of the game. And then it was able to still, you know, turn around, what was he, 5 for 11, you said? Turn around like yep. a, you know, 5 for 11 game, he scored 14 points. And then, every, you know, not even that, but everything else around it is what, what also well impressed me. So, game. yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think what you're saying is great. He's a, he's a really nice systematic fit. I think he is a good, I think he could have a future as a backup point guard, uh, you know, whether it be with the Knicks down the line or a different team, like I, I could definitely see him being an NBA level backup point guard. I'm more, I would be more interested in seeing him continue to get minutes and explore what he can do based on his skill set than invest more time in Emmanuel Moody. I think we've seen what Moody is. Yes. He had that one hot stretch and outside of that, he pretty much regressed back to what he was with maybe a tiny bit better shooting numbers, but he's not going to be a net positive NBA player between what he does on offense and what he does on defense. Uh, Allen, I, when Frank comes back, I would play Frank and I would keep playing Allen and I wouldn't play Moody. I'm very, very worried about what happens with the Moody situation. I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly with what you're saying. I'm just very worried with how Fisdale approaches it. Uh, that's a, that's a fair concern. I think we're all in the same boat on that, that uh, Fisdale's ego and what his relationship with Moutier could cloud his judgment there. Yeah, I, I just think, and I don't even think it's Moutier's fault. I do genuinely believe that he's a, he's an improved NBA player this season. I think that's very fair, even given his little slump before he got hurt. Um, I, I think he has improved as a basketball player and should get an opportunity somewhere else. But when you make a trade to get a guy like Dennis Smith Jr., who's just a better version of Moutier, you know, for the most part, it's just, it's redundant on this team, you know, for to have, we have the younger, better model, you know, and it's, it, he's improved Moutier and hats off to him and I'm happy for him. And I hope he, you know, goes someplace and he can get some minutes, but um, it's just not, it makes little sense here. So let's let's kind of look back a little bit more at the game uh, itself. I, I thought that the Knicks for the first large parts of the first three quarters played a, a sound defensive game. Uh, there, there was one lineup that I liked a lot in the third quarter uh, that was Knox, DeAndre Jordan, Alonzo Trier, Noah Vonley, and Kadeem Allen playing together that uh, was just quick and fast defensively staying on their man, uh, you know, forced uh, either a shot clock violation or just a, a bad shot out of a play. And, you know, I like, I obviously I'd probably swap in, uh, you know, Dotson for Trier if I wanted to make that like a lockdown defensive lineup. But uh, I, yeah, there's definitely some combinations, especially with a guy like Allen we're talking about. And, you know, with DeAndre Jordan here now, and, and even out of Kevin Knox at times, there's, there's definitely some defensive talent on this team. Uh, and I, I think looking more towards what kind of defensive lineups they could put together is going to be really helpful for them long term, especially if they're getting 
you know, offensively gifted players like Durant or Kyrie in the offseason. So the thing that's jumped out to me since they've traded for DeAndre Jordan is like I, I got in wind from people who watched the Mavs that he wasn't the player he used to be. But the extent of it is even more extreme. Mm. Than he might I be a better expecting. offensive player than he is defensive at this point. Oh, I don't even think that's up for debate. And I don't think his offense has been particularly good. They try and run way too much of the offense with him making decisions and trying to make passes. It's not, that's not what his game should be. And so, and to exemplify this now, granted, look, Mitchell Robinson is playing a lot with bench units and Deandre Jordan is playing a lot with starters that there is some, some of this does some of these numbers fall into that category as that's part of why it's happening. But in the four, in the last four games, in 109 minutes with Jordan on the court, the Knicks are a minus 50. They have a 91.6 offensive rating and a 114.7 defensive rating. In 61 minutes with Mitchell Robinson on the floor, the Knicks are a minus two, a 97.7 offensive rating and a 101.6 defensive rating. And it matches the eye test. Like, I didn't know what the numbers were going to be when I went and looked those up, but going into it, I was like, the team has played terribly when DeAndre Jordan's DeAndre Jordan's on the fall on the floor. And if you go through the film, like there's very, his team defense is not good. He sinks back too much. The only thing he's concerned about doing defensively is standing near the rim and grabbing defensive rebounds. He doesn't push up on the pick and roll. He doesn't know how to use his length to cut off passing lanes when defending the pick and roll. He's not playing help defense to cut off drives. He's doing nothing when he's playing one-on-one defense. He's sinking back too far and letting people just shoot jumpers over him. His team defense in multiple aspects, it's just absolutely atrocious. And he's 30 years old. He has too much athleticism. He has too much length. Like, it's unacceptable to me. Like, I, I want to know, when you're sitting in film room sessions, like, he's supposed to be a guy that's sitting here teaching Mitch, as we talked about earlier. How is this going? How is the guy who's supposed to be teaching the other guy, yet when you're, or the whole team, they sit and watch film, and he's making all these mistakes how do you go about continuing to give him minutes over the guy who's doing things right and making positive plays and making a positive impact? And there's some crossover there that I just, I, I, it, the how this functions in an NBA locker room is fascinating to me because it's blatantly obvious to anyone who's actually really paying attention to what's happening on the court. I have a prediction for what's going to happen with DeAndre Jordan. Uh, I, I think the next give him a uh, a one-year deal to, you know, bring him in and make them their, their starter at center going into next season uh, because, you know, that's that's very Knicks of them. But also to be the Kevin Durant suitor kind of thing, I think he could be a buyout guy, you know, later on in the year unless the Knicks end up being good and he sticks around and everything like that. But uh, I am just, uh, I, I I think he sees a return to this team after the season. If, if they can get yeah, the money yeah. right, I just, I, I, I think that, it's I, I agree with you that Mitch should probably be starting. They should probably be looking towards him a little bit more in the future. And maybe he will end up being the starter down the line, but I don't think DeAndre Jordan is going to be off this team for for a little while at least. That's a massive, massive mistake if they re-sign DeAndre Jordan, and that's how you start the process of ruining what could potentially be a very good thing. Investing any wasting that five million dollar exception on DeAndre Jordan, taking time away from Mitchell Robinson. And then not using that $5 million on getting a better player that could 
you could fit around Robinson, Durant, and whoever else is here. That that's the start of the process of not being able to maximize the three to the three years you have of Durant's prime left. See, my thing with with DeAndre Jordan is I feel like he had a decent first quarter too. He had a, he had a he was crashing the boards well. He was you know had a couple of putbacks, everything like that. He he was a good rebounder, and I thought actually his passing looked pretty good in that game. He's he's able to find cutters, uh, you know, to the basket and hit him with the bounce pass well. Right now, those seem to be his only true strengths. Those you know, those three putbacks and and that you know that kind of specific pass and and the rebounding. But the biggest thing I noticed with him is he's just he play he seems to be playing well through like one quarter. Uh, and then get, just gets tired and starts relying on instinct. And he's just constantly out of position. And, like, you know, the only thing he's able to really put through is, like, a, you know, Dennis Smith Jr. alley-oop or the occasional rebound or whatever. But, yeah, it's, you know, I'm seeing also bad fouls when he's trying to get a rebound. I'm seeing, like, I'm just seeing inconsistent effort and being out of position. So I don't I don't know whether he's just, like, tired and, you know, sorry, is, is kind of an older 30, but... Uh, yeah, I, I could definitely see him being a problem sticking around long term. Uh, I but I also feel like it's almost inevitable inevitable that the Knicks will give him that uh, five million dollar exception. I don't know if it's inevitable. You know, I think it's it's perhaps likely. I, I would like to see again. I I don't think that he's actually bad. I just don't think that he's trying, and that's somehow worse. So, I I would like to believe that. You know, you can sensibly talk to him and be like, like, look, man, we, we, we all know you weren't trying. Can you just, can you, and it almost sounds pathetic, but like, can you actually, like, we have Kevin Durant. Can you, can you try? Can you just try this here? You know, like, I, I feel like at that point he would probably, you would assume, clean up his act a little bit. I don't know. You know, I, I just don't think he's, he suddenly forgot how to play basketball. He just doesn't seem to care right now. And. It's just, it's strange. I, I don't know. I don't know how much stock I put into it being like detrimental, you know, but we'll, we'll see what happens, man. So, so, but his mannerisms on the court, on the bench, how he's interacting with teammates isn't of a guy who's not trying. And that Mavs team was also successful early in the season when he was on it. And the, the type of things that I'm talking about that were happening were being talked about in that Maverick section of Twitter that watches all the games. And even going back to his Clipper days, oh, there was a lot of noise that he wasn't as good defensively as his reputation suggested, and he was more about just grabbing rebounds. It's funny. It's funny you mentioned that because when I looked up like whether or not he uh, had won a Defensive Player of the Year, which I was so sure that he he did. Uh, you know, pretty much every article I'd seen was like, this is why DeAndre Jordan doesn't deserve to be in the conversation. And, uh, you know, it seems to be a lot of times he's finishing somewhere like fourth in the rankings. Uh, it, yeah, it seems like he got a he had a stellar period of time with his defense and really has relied on that to, uh, you know, carry his reputation forward. Um, is there anything else you guys wanted to get into in uh, in this Raptors game or you want to take a look at what the Knicks have coming up for them? I, I'm starting to get worried about Knox with the with the shooting. I, I thought it was I thought he was okay as a whole, but I just didn't like the. Yeah, I think he was seven of twenty one. I I mean that's just a that's a lot of misses. Yeah, and it was what it was four of nine from three. So four. what was that from two? It, uh, just gross. Just gross. 
what's nine in the 12 to two of 12 from two yeah can't hit yeah. yeah i mean he had that moment where he came on a little bit more i think it was in the the later on in the third uh you know he was able to hit a shot or two and that's what i was talking about earlier in the show where it's just like you know once he's he's hitting a shot it, it affects everyone around him it just affects how people are moving and, and you know how fast they're playing and everything but when he's not it's just it takes away a big piece of what the knicks have working for them right now um but anyway, so I'm hoping that he can pull uh, pull it back together a little bit. Hopefully, get a shot back. We could use a good game from Knox. Uh, the Knicks are next going to be in Cleveland on uh, the 11th, Monday the 11th. Um, that is obviously going to be a a, a win for whoever loses that game. Uh, as far as trying to get to the bottom of the standings and everything, Cleveland is currently what what's their record looking like? I think they're a game behind us. Yeah, I think they have one more win than we do. Uh, sorry, everybody. Filibuster. I want the Knicks to win the game. I don't care. I mean, this is the one game coming up that I kind of really just want them to lose. Uh, don't, I, I don't give a shit. Go win. A, let me watch the Knicks win a fucking basketball game. So they're, they're 11 and 45. We're 10 and 45. Uh, look, I, I this is probably the most winnable game they're going to have in a long time. At the same time, it's uh, look. I, I, I'm a pretty big proponent right now. The Knicks can go out and get a couple of wins, and it's not going to be too big of, a, of a, an impact on them. This seems like one of those games where if they they'll go out and get a win, and it'll come back and bite them on the ass when the draft comes around. They've lost 16 games in a row, man. Go, win a fucking game, please. But at the same time, I'm just like, what's one more at this point? You know, <laughs> four and 22 at home. Like, dear God, oh my God. The last time they they're on the road, so they're probably going to be December 1st, right? They, they still haven't won. The last time they won at home was December 1st. The last time they won at home, uh, it was, it's, a, it was it's a Hazonia been, step back game. We, we talked about this yes, last time. Yes, two entire months it's been. Yeah. The Suns have lost 14 in a row. The Knicks have lost 16 in a row. Yeah, uh, it's hard to say who uh, whose shoes you would rather be in right now. Man, at least the Suns have eaten already on their team. Um, after that, on Wednesday, the Knicks will play. Wednesday the 13th, the Knicks will be playing the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, I am petrified of this game. The Sixers just scored 145 points. I saw that, right? Yeah. 143 be points against the Lakers. They, they absolutely decimated it decimated the Dude. Lakers and and the worst part is and I'm gonna just telling you guys now Tobias Harris and Kevin Knox if that happens at any even Jimmy Butler on Kevin Knox is just gonna be it's gonna be brutal. hard it's gonna it, be just, they are just gonna bully this kid we need Knox uh, to get a good game I think in in Cleveland at least have a, a good scoring game good shooting game because he's he needs some momentum to carry into a game like this the thing that gets me with Philly is that they move the ball really well for all those guys, like the ball was humming around today and they're all bruisers too. Like Jimmy, Jimmy is a bruiser, you know, Tobias will back you in and bully you in a little bit and beat will do the same. You know, Simmons is going to come right down the paint on you. Like these are bruisers and they're, they're just moving the ball really well with each other. Like that's, that's terrifying. Like watching them today was terrible. It was a lot of fun to be honest with you. It was a lot of fun, but they're terrifying. 33 assists on 56 shots and not one player had more than seven on, on 56 makes and not one player had more than seven assists. 
Nah, ball had to be. Yeah. I didn't get to see any. Of the game. I saw a highlight of one play, and I, and watching it, I was like, whoa, that was like Spurs back in the day type ball movement in the play that I saw come across Twitter. The Sixers, I think, are probably the favorites in the East right now after adding Harris. I mean, the firepower they have, yeah. I, I, I you know, I don't know if it's uh, if if Milwaukee has more just cohesion amongst them and can pull off you know they seem to have a system that works a little bit better for what they're trying to do uh but as far as just just pure firepower and it's pretty evidenced by that 143 they scored uh philly is definitely the most stacked team in the east right now i mean look at look at these lines you have first of all you have ben simmons who only scored eight points had three rebounds and seven assists but then you have you know, Jimmy Butler with 15, 4, and 3. Tobias Harris with 22, 6, and 6. Joel Embiid, 37, 14, and 3. Uh, you know, uh, J.J. Redick with 21, 2, and 5. You have T.J. McConnell scoring a double digits. Boban's in double digits here. It, it's it's unbelievable how much they could throw at a team. And just like, it, it, even if someone like Ben Simmons isn't scoring, or even if, uh, you, you know, you, their bench isn't doing much at all, like, they still have so much they could just throw up against you. And what do you do? And Mike Mike Scott coming off the bench, That's he's basically their new Ursan Ilyasova who can come in and just space the court and bang threes. It, it's truly, truly incredible. Um, all right. Well, well, I'm looking forward to the Cleveland game. I'm not going to be mad if they get a win. You know, it's probably not great if they do, but whatever. I'll be I'll be stoked about it just for the sake of breaking this horrid streak. Um, we are now going to take you to Mike Cortez will join us on the show. Uh, he is our resident draft guy at the Knicks wall. He a couple of weeks ago published his piece on the 2019 draft board, uh, outlining his top five other guys who could move into the mix. He is about to have his second piece come on, and we're excited to talk to him about everything uh, as the Knicks gear up and get ready for the NBA draft. joined now by our good friend from the Knicks wall Mike Cortez what's going on my dude thanks man this is a I feel like this is long overdue yeah it totally is man <laughs> uh, well it's especially overdue because you're now on uh you're you're soon to be on edition two of your uh 2019 draft board for the Knicks wall correct yep it should be Tuesday all right yeah so uh you know I'm as I'm taking a look through you know number one it's pretty obvious looking at the you know the first people contestants. You got Zion Williamson at the top. You got John Morant right underneath them. Uh, you know R.J. Barrett. So like all the big names are definitely rising to the top. Um, looking at edition two now, and this you know the first edition was released back on January 29th. So looking at edition two, has anybody really changed where they stand in the top three? Uh, yeah, Ja. I shot Ja all the way down. And I'll talk to him in a second, but I think we're getting to the point where if the Knicks are going to get in trouble for tampering or doing anything, it's to get Zion because he just unlocks everything. He protects them from striking out in free agency, I think. And he's 
everything they need right now. He's a playmaker. You put him in, just him and Mitchell Robinson. I mean, did you guys see the SWAT he had last night? It was, yes, it's it was crazy. <laughs> like he was on the block and took what one one step and then left and just and got it all the way to the corner and oh my god, man! I just had I tweeted it from the TKW account, but I was just like, imagine, imagine that kind of defending at, at your four. And having that next to Mitchell Robinson, who does the exact same thing and is just yeah. slightly longer. Like, yeah. that would be terrifying. Yeah, and another thing with him, I think he, like, just him, Mitchell Robinson, and then let's say Durant comes without getting Davis, you're still versatile enough to defend against the threes with those closeouts. And you're also good enough to take on, like, a team like the Bucks or 76ers who might try and destroy you down low. So I think he covers all bases. So, um, you said that you moved Ja down to, a little bit, though? Yeah, like, for Ja, I can't really see them taking him with Dennis Smith and the possibility of mm. Kyrie coming. That's why I wanted to ask you guys, what do you think if the Knicks were to fall to three? Because I think they should go for Zion or RJ right now if they get one or two. But if they fall to three, would you dangle Ja to, like, the Wizards or maybe the Bulls? It's interesting. I feel because uh, I think, judging based off of like the the moves that we saw Scott Perry and Steve Mills make recently, like trading out of valuable assets to get a little bit more down the line seems to be within their wheelhouse. So I do wonder. Yeah, if you know they get the number one or two pick, they definitely. I'd say they probably draft and most likely hang on to that player, barring anything like a you know an Anthony Davis trade or something. But. Uh, but if they move to number three, I would not be surprised at all if I if they try to you know take John Morant and and move him to somebody else. If if they get Durant outside of Zion, I'm automatically pretty much trading the pick for a more win down player. He's 30 years old, and you're trying to maximize his window. I'm I'm trying to win over the next three to five years, and I'm not waiting for guys to get good. Beal would be my top yes. target at the AD yes. thing. I would say happening. so as well. And there's other guys. I mean, this stands for Knox too. I mean, there's just most likely you're not going to be waiting around for these guys to be good if KD comes. And then if KD and Kyrie comes, I would, I'm even trading Zion for AD if I can. Oh, definitely. So, so like, while well, you know, before we even look at, um, you know, before, before we look at Knox and all the other auxiliary players who might, or, or pieces that might be added to a trade for, like, you know, moving out of that third pick, what kind of, well, if they do go with Ja or maybe just the third pick on its own, Mike, what, what kind of value would you say that would hold for them? What kind of return do you think the Knicks could get back for something like that? I would hope you could, like I said, I think it would package it with a younger player. But, like, with the Bulls, you might be able to, they're stupid enough, you might be able to steal maybe <laughs> a Lowry, maybe. If it depends on how much they really love Ja, but I would probably stick with the pick at that point and then take Reddish, just because he adds shooting and defensive. Like he averages two point one steals and he has a pretty big wingspan, so I think he could still end up being like Knox on offense, where he's just like falls to the side and just doesn't really engage. But I do think he has a much more defensive potential. So another name uh, that I am seeing on your on your your first draft board is Romeo Langford, who is definitely not, I would say, a name that most household Knicks fan you know most Knicks fans know as a household name. 
uh, and you know, even fewer people who are casual Knicks fans or anything like that. So you had him as your fourth uh, top prospect in the first edition. Is that right? Or the third? Yeah. Yeah. He was fourth. It was before Dennis Smith got there. That's when okay. no one was really getting to the rim. And I feel like Dennis Smith does that. I mean, it's always good to have more. Like I still have him pretty high on the board, but I also have Jared Culver now. And I think they need scoring at this point because Knox just isn't that top guy. And until Durant's here, he's not here. So outside of Dennis Smith, who's really getting you buckets consistently. And I think Culver and Langford could get to the rim. I think Langford's leading the nation at the rim, if I'm not mistaken. So like, is basically his game. Cause I've re- I haven't seen any of his play at all, but he's, so he's a little bit more in the Dennis Smith model. He's going to be kind of guy who's going to be doing a lot of cutting, a lot of trying to get to the rim. Yeah, yes and no. He's not, like, flat. Like, Dennis Smith is way more athletic, but Romeo Langford is, like, Kyrie-ish at the rim where he has mm. very soft touch. And I think I caught him on a good streak of games because the first game I saw from him was Maryland, and he was just awesome. So that played a big factor in me just falling in love with him right off the bat. But I still think he holds value as, like, a second guard, second guard as second unit. So... But not somebody you really want to like that moves the needle that much. Well, taking a look at, uh, you know, just the the rest of your your top five was in your first edition was Zion, obviously, at number one. (laughs) And then you had from there, you had John Morant. And then it was RJ Barrett, Romeo Langford. And then number five was Cam Reddish. And Cam Reddish is interesting because I would say he's probably the guy who was number two in everybody's minds coming into this season. Uh, seeing him at number five on your board was kind of surprising, but how, how has he looked since you wrote this piece? How has he looked overall this year? What can you tell people about him? Well, he was ice cold when I was writing the first edition. He was shooting 25% from three, I think 28% from the field. But since then, I think St. John's game really got him going from deep. He was Since then, he's shooting 44% from three, and he's starting to look more like the guy that we were looking at during the Kentucky game or even before the season. And that and mixed with Dennis Smith being there, I still think they their best bet is to add wing depth. So I think that's where he saw his biggest improvement. I'm just curious, like, it seems like, yeah, you have, you have Cam Reddish here as a wing. You have, so far on your first board, uh, as it's been a lot of varying positions, you know, overall on the team. And this is mm-hmm. obviously before the Porzingis trade when you first wrote this, and this is you know, before the trade deadline and everything. Now that we have a clearer look at who's going to be here for the rest of the year and who the Knicks could potentially re-sign uh, once it comes to free agency, like, what what, posi- what do you think is the most valuable position for them? How does this change your rankings? Like, are there, are there anybody in this top five who you would say straight up just sh- the Knicks should not look at anymore, or does everyone still have value for them? I think everyone. I think it's still best player available, just for, mm-hmm. just to keep you versatile to any possible scenario the summer may hold. Because this summer could go really good or really bad, so you kind of just want to limit the downside. So, above all, I think you just want someone that could score and is not going to be a liability on the floor. And I think the top five still has that. But I like I have DeAndre Hunter on this new board. That's like if we really like if we start to win games and somehow drop outside of the top five, then you start to act, look at like utility guys who are just going to help versus take us up the next level. And you mentioned DeAndre Hunter, but uh, in your first draft board, you also had Jarrett Culver, 
you had Nasir Little and you had Kevin Porter Jr. as mm-hmm. being the other names to keep tabs on. Um, now that we're about to have a look at the uh, second round of your draft board, have any other of those guys popped up there other than DeAndre Hunter, or has anybody fallen a little bit deeper from that list? No, uh, Nasir Little still a name to keep tabs on, but he just does. I don't think he plays enough to be to get a good look at it. Maybe as the tournament gets closer, where Williams will play him more and we'll get to see who he is. But I still think he could be a good defender and an athletic wing. But um, Culver jumped into the board, and him and Langford are now neck and neck. And then I have Ja, like I said, at the very end of the board. All right. Well, I'm not going to have you spoil the entire piece on air here, uh, but I am going to tell everybody that you you were saying either Tuesday or Wednesday we're looking towards on that. Yeah, most likely Tuesday. All right. So keep an eye out on the KnicksWall.com. Keep an eye on the Knicks Twitter uh, or the KnicksWall's Twitter account for, uh, you know, when that piece comes live, we'll have it all over for you guys. Make sure you follow Mike on Twitter as well at Cortez Era. Mike, it's been a pleasure. We can't wait to have you back on to talk about the next edition. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. All right. Well, that was uh, Mike Cortez joining us to uh, talk about his draft board. Make sure you're following him. yeah, follow all the rest of us, you know, at Kyle Maggio, at Corbo Anthony, at Brian Giberman. Follow the Knicks Wall, follow TKW Podcast. Please, please, please subscribe on podcast platforms and on YouTube. Leave us your reviews, your uh, your comments, all that good stuff. And we will talk to you all later on this week. 